This episode of I Speak Dead People is brought to you by Thistle and Thread Boutique, a Montana-based contemporary classic and eclectic clothing store for women. You know, I get so fooled by these clothing store ads that pop up on my phone. The models in the pictures look great wearing these cute clothes, so I give it a shot. I order it. The clothes come to my door. The material's garbage. I look dumpy in it, and it's not at all what the picture showed. At thistleandthreadboutique.com, that is not the case. These are great clothes for women of all sizes and shapes, and they come just like the picture shows. It's also run by two badass Montana women with a vision to help women look their best. Hey guys, Christmas is coming up. They have gift cards. Don't try to buy your girls' clothes. Buy her a gift card. Let her get what she wants. They ship nationwide, free shipping over 50 bucks. And with my promo code ISDP, you will get 10% off at checkout. When you look good, you feel good. And thistleandthreadboutique.com will help you accomplish that. Use promo code ISDP for 10% off at checkout. And now let's get on to the show. Hey guys, welcome. It's season two of I Speak Dead People. This is your host, Sarah Bolstead. I am super excited for what this season has in store for us. So be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And then check me out on the socials on Facebook and Instagram at I Speak Dead People podcast to keep yourselves in the loop for what's going on here at ISDP. I am starting this season off with my new producer and someone that I've been getting to know, Ryan Simone. We not only share this podcast thing now, but we also share the role as step-parents to the same girls. We take great pride in being step-parents, and it's also something he understands so deeply, having lost a stepdad when he was a young boy. So we talk about what growing up looks like without a dad, without a father figure, and this transition from boyhood to manhood, and what that feels like with this fatherless element in his story. I think we are all going to learn a lot from Ryan and just that male perspective of emotion and what guys go through but don't let anybody know about. Like, I know he's not alone in these feelings, so... Super glad to have him on the show and get this stuff out there. So here he is, just an all-around great guy, my new friend, my new producer. Everybody, this is Ryan Simone. Say hey, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, you for are, me. yeah. You're my first guest that I don't really know that well. I will say, you know, we're getting Perfect. to know each other. Yeah. But uh, just you know, other than having respect for each other and our roles as step parents to the same kids. Um, yes. Our current partners used to be together and had two kids, mm-hmm. and those two kids are now m- me and your step 
daughters. I mean, yeah. basically, I mean, that's if that's it. okay with you, then I call it. <laughs> that, yeah, I'm like, exactly right. <laughs> hopefully I broke that down enough so it sounds no, no, less. I just, I just <laughs> yeah, less incestual and more like we're a blended family. So yeah, we're a modern um, family. Yeah, there you go. 21st century. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, and the role for like stepmom for me initially made me super nervous. Um, mm-hmm. At first, you know, I had a lot of conversations in my head, like, am I good enough for this role? Am I, you know, I was kind of like this wild child that I knew I loved (laughs) Ty, but it was Mm going to be a package deal if I wanted to be with Ty. And so, you know, but then I think the role, you know, just the stepmom gets a bad rap for you know, Disney movies, even growing yeah, up. Yeah, the and, stepmom is kind of yeah. dragged on on TV, uh-huh. for sure. And uh, <laughs> totally. And so I think, you know, I didn't have a step-parent. My parents were married. And um, mm. so I didn't really know anything about being, a, you know, stepping into that sure. role. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's awesome. It takes a, a really good person to do it. And I've learned so much along the way. And uh, it's I don't know. humbling for sure. Yeah. You, yeah. you go in, I mean, you went in for Thai and mm-hmm. for sure there there's, it's, you're also going in as a role model too. So it's not mm-hmm. like <laughs> uh-huh. the start of a relationship and you're just drunk all the time and hitting downtown <laughs> every night and doing that whole couple thing. Exactly. Um, then there's this piece where it's like, uh, you know, you got to wash the, wash the booze all over yourself and clean yourself up. And then you got to get the kids on <laughs> right, Monday. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, you can play to, you know, the best of both worlds kind of right, kicking, you yeah, know, so, yeah. um, <laughs> but, do all the booze uh, and while they're at school and <laughs> yeah, driving yeah. on the sidewalk, picking them up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I don't know. I, I, honestly enjoy it because it's like you almost get to yeah you're this role model but you're also you know not officially you know their parent so Mm -hmm. you can kind of play this like fun older sister older brother thing yeah but then to the point where it's like no you you fucking listen to me right now (laughs) like like, you know so I think uh, um, I feel like we've kind of settled into a, a groove um, but yeah, initially it's tough to, to navigate the line of being a friend and, and being, you know, mom's boyfriend mm-hmm. versus being like a, a, a kind of a, a authority presence or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> don't do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> You're really pissing me off, yeah. but I don't know how to exactly. express yeah. myself. <laughs> like, that out the outlet. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But then that's why it can al- almost be harder than being their mom or their dad because you don't know where to establish. Sometimes you don't know how to how to establish those boundaries. Sure. I think it's like where where's the line and like mm-hmm. how can I um, portray myself so they're not crossing it and you know and mm-hmm. and respecting those boundaries and it does it takes a while. It's a it is a process. It's something that doesn't come instantly. And, yes. um, and you, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've had a, you know, I've had several step parent situations and, and I definitely, that's kind of guided me. Um, cause I know growing up, I, I've, I think I can distinguish like what I appreciate about good step parenting and what I didn't, um, what felt invasive to 
my identity and family identity. Um, one of, you know, a stepfather had me like change my last name during middle school and I, and I hated that. And it completely just, um, it was something he insisted on and really, yeah. And it was kind of like, he was planting his flag in me and I, and I just didn't appreciate that, you know? Um, and, and my current stepdad, I, I just love to death. And he's given me so many good examples of what I aspire to be both, both as a step parent and, and as a parent and, and just, as, as a good human, you know, uh-huh. um, he just exudes yeah. kindness and, and thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so for sure, I mean, definitely <laughs> stepping into that role in these girls' lives, mm-hmm. um, it, that's been kind of initially a conscious effort to uh, sort of weigh that all in my head. And I mean, I'm a guy as well, like they've got little girl lives. And so <laughs> uh, yeah. I was raised by like, I, I think I was, <laughs> uh-huh. the women in my life have been, they're very strong women, but they get together and it's this, like, this, this chaotic, like, screech fest, uh, <laughs> and they, that hasn't been the case at all here, thankfully, but. <laughs> uh, I know, I'm kind of waiting for it, because, like, I feel so much love from the girls, but they're also, you know, they're 11 and 12 now. So I'm like, okay, so what do I have? Four months, I have six months left, maybe that they'll still <laughs> like me. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, you know, it's like, starting to happen. They're, they're kind of like, crawling oh, off shit. to the rooms. And uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, their generation has like Cardi B and all that too. So they're like oh, yeah. twerking and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> all I right, know. <laughs> you're grounded and you're getting home school. <laughs> Totally. Go, go sleep was, in the attic. <laughs> I know. I, and for me too, I was I was such a tomboy growing up that I was like wearing cutoff basketball shirts okay. and like yelling my hair back into a ponytail and like that's hilarious. They'll they'll ask me, you know, let's go shopping or something. I like, why do you even want to go shopping? I'm like, <laughs> like just I just I can't relate, you know. Lurking and, uh, in the back of hot topic. <laughs> nice (laughs) and so it is but and I don't know if you know that's just kind of specific to them or if it's just it is it's like this generational thing of Mm -hmm. like how different kids are I mean and we're not far from being young but no yeah but you know it's just so different now and we didn't have social media and all exactly we're we're kind of like the last tv generation and Mm -hmm. and they're the youtube social like there's such a uh social presence to the media they consume and, uh-huh. and that's kind of, that is what I've been paying more attention to is, is, you know, the media they're consuming. Um, I feel like there's more of a, a comparison factor there, you know, cause they're watching oh, yeah. stuff on YouTube and they can go on YouTube and do the same thing. And that I have a, just a fear that there's going to be a inferiority complex or, or, you know what I mean? Um, oh yeah. I mean, seriously growing up, I, watching MTV, <laughs> I have this aspiration to like be a rock star and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. but like Guns N' Roses and all that, like they weren't my peers. So I, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't like have to compare myself to that degree. Uh-huh. Um, but there's like no. stars who are like middle schoolers. You know? Oh my God. I know. Yeah. I know. And it's kind of terrifying. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's cool, but, but you know, I don't know. They, 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 they probably have a much better grasp of it than we do. Yeah, but it also is, it's like this overexposure, desensitized youth that's coming up and you're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, overexposed, just, you don't, and, and too, like, we have this faith that they're like, not up till midnight doing things on their phones or computers, <laughs> that they should be 
doing but then it's like are we the stupid idiots like we yeah, must yeah. be because right. like I you know I know what I was doing when I was 12 and I didn't oh, even have sure. a cell phone so like no I yeah just, yeah it yeah. just <laughs> I yeah so in you know in your story which is kind of it's cool because we can be on this level with each other and this understanding but then it's also super interesting because you know you have talked about your stepdad so far mm -hmm. but you have a story that begins with the loss of a stepdad yeah yep yeah uh steve martin um and i guess to, to give the the context of that too i mean my real father uh i just never knew very well um mm -hmm. he's he lives in chile Okay. He, who knows where he is? Like he was in California, he was in Chile. He's just kind of all over the place. Um, and I have like vague memories of him when I was very little. But but as far as I knew, like Steve Martin, who's my brother's dad, uh, he was my dad okay. through my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, so in the, I mean, there's stories that even as an adult, I'm still learning uh, of his role in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, when I was born, Steve Martin was there. Well, my dad was like at the Rhino downtown, you know. Really? Yeah. How was he there? So he's he's been, the Martins, it's a pretty big family. And um, I mean, he's, he's the, there's four brothers total, including him and a sister. And three of them have died. So like Billy, his older brother, um, David, his older brother, then Steve. Okay. Um, in, in that order. Um, okay. So, so my mom was friends growing up with, with them, um, okay. went, went to Sentinel high school and they've, they've known each other for quite a while. Um, and so my father, they had a very like strict Catholic environment in, in Chile that they okay. wanted to get out of. So they went and studied abroad in Montana. And then that's how my mom and them linked up um, with my real dad. Okay. Um, she was pregnant with me and their kind of relationship fell apart as hinted at, you know, him being at the Rhino when I'm <laughs> born. Like he just, he's not a responsible kind of guy. And uh -huh. he, I think my mom smartly chose that. <laughs> uh, and also he just kind of lacked interest in, I think, being a father up here. Well, okay. Um, so, my mom was friends with them. I, I don't know why Steve was there when I was born though, like, but he was. And they he, just have the story that he was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think ever since then, he had a, a really strong attachment to me um, it, because my mom told me like from at that point too, I think my mom and, and, and my father they were basically broken up uh, by the time I was born, like he was around. Okay. But, and so Steve, I think felt bad for my mom and would like invite her on like dates, you know, go going to see like a drive-in movie and stuff with with me in the back seat and oh uh, yeah yeah um that takes a special guy to do that especially like when you're a baby oh he was incredible yeah yeah just um and, and so i mean to give I, I think i told you but he his mother is thelma baker who who runs the thunderbird motel okay oh um, yep. so we're, we're, i spent a lot of time at the thunderbird motel so we're talking we're talking about seeing stuff at a young age you know with the girls listening to cardi b and stuff like yeah the thunderbird i had this sort of odd characters that hang around a motel and then also like staying up watching hbo <laughs> you know uh -huh. two in the morning that kind of stuff uh -huh. uh, it was a fun childhood but 
Um, yeah, a lot of your childhood memories are there, and yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of based around of, there. Yeah, yeah, it's full of uh, you know, the the Thunderbird since then has been renovated, but it's like this secondhand smoke smell and uh, just odd characters. And Steve was just the funniest guy. Uh -huh. um, and so essentially him and my mom got to dating. And then like two and a half years after I was born, my brother was born. Okay. Um, and so in Steve's case, he, he lost. So his older brother, Billy died when Billy was 13 and Steve was really young. Okay. And then his next older brother, David, he died the same year I was born. Jeez. And yeah. And then so around the time my brother was born, I want to say his sister, uh, Sharon, who's still alive, uh, a total sweetheart too. She got, I don't know the exact cancer, but it, it was looking pretty bad for her. Like she had like a 15% chance of, of survival. And, and so said, like Steve had like a legit mental breakdown, uh -huh. uh, had to be checked in. And so... Wow. My mom had my brother and, and then I, and then, and then Steve's kind of in this, this mental crisis. Um, but, you know, they pulled, he pulled through and um, we soon after moved into a house together. And I think, you know, Thelma having lost two sons, I think she was very hesitant to lose Steve to my mom, essentially. Okay. Before my brother was born. Um, okay. It was very much against their relationship but as soon as Eric was born I think we, we kind of officially became a family unit and after Steve you know got through his mental breakdown um, we we moved all we all moved in together uh, okay close to a house near Cold Springs okay uh, yeah and, and it was that that little brief window where we're together that I remember just being this really happy time mm -hmm. uh, him and my mom they were just getting along so well and uh, yeah, I, I have one scene like so like first grade, <laughs> I just have this this scene of them sitting at the kitchen table like counting money and just being amped because they finally had money and things are looking. Oh. Good. Uh -huh. um, yeah, <laughs> we, oh. got, like, we got like a Nintendo yeah. 64 that year, which was fucking awesome at that uh -huh. age, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hell uh, yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. That and you just kind of yeah, you've got this like, you know you guys are hanging at the Thunderbird, like I'm imagining, you know, smoking cigarettes and, yeah. you know, and you're just probably maybe even having like holiday dinners there. And you guys are just like little kids running around in diapers and yes. I don't, maybe yeah. just kind of something like that. And then well, it's like. Exactly. Well, you, I think the front side of the Thunderbird, it, it's, it's very iconic. You know, you got the big Thunderbird sign. And I think anyone who, who's lived in Missoula and like driven around there like, mm -hmm. knows the Thunderbird. The, the back side of the Thunderbird is what's called the Canyon, where it's kind of more like um, the more long-term renters who live back there. Uh -huh. And so S Steve lived on the back side of the Canyon. And, and there's this like kind of, okay. it's a really cool area. And so like my brother and I hung out there and he'd, it was this sort of like living room slash like front desk lobby area. Um, <laughs> it, and the, the characters back there too, like they're just the wildest people. Um, <laughs> Like uh, Greg Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway's son lived there, and, and oh, this wow. is like my mom's favorite. He, this guy, he had split personality disorder, and he would change into these like female personas. Mm -hmm. My mom has a story where one of the first times Steve was watching my brother and I, <laughs> she mm -hmm. my mom comes with Thunderbird, and and there's this 
or Greg Hemley was this big man, but he had these like painted fingernails and he's wearing a dress and holding like little baby Eric, my brother. Um, oh, God. <laughs> and she kind of oh. had this like kind of freak out moment, you know? Yeah. yeah, there's just, there's characters back there and I, and I really uh -huh. enjoyed it. And, and I love Steve. He was just, uh, I, he, he, I know he enjoyed it as well. Uh, he, he, there's a lot of, um, I have this like rosy childhood memory of, of that spot, but I know like the Canyon wasn't a happy place. There's a lot of, a lot of people OD in and, and a lot of drugs and, and it's, it's not a happy environment. And uh -huh. there's been multiple times where Steve has, you know, personally driven, I, I, there's that, that rehab clinic, I want to say out towards Butte. Uh -huh. uh, Steve has personally driven, I, I would think, um, yeah, but he, he would, it, people would OD and he would take him to the hospital and he'd drive them to wow. rehab. Like he, so he was friends with them as well. And he, he was like personally vested in these people. Yeah. He's kind of like yeah. a man of the people back there. Okay. Um, and like, cause I had a friend who he grew up in, um, in the hotel, in the hotel in like one of my hometowns and it would uh, be like my favorite place to hang out with all my friends. Cause it was, it was like just kind of dark and you know like we had our own little thing going on and we yeah. would jump in the pool with all of our clothes yeah. on and like you know it was like it was kind of like <laughs> where we shouldn't we shouldn't be doing this but exactly we are. yeah totally, no. you know <laughs> it's like yeah there's something like innocently scummy about it you know mm -hmm. uh on nights when like the this the um the like hot tub suite or honeymoon suite room would be open eric and i would would be in there in the hot tub and mm -hmm. um, a lot of memories like that and yeah much of our childhood was spent at the thunderbird um <laughs> and i always you know i there wasn't there was nothing weird about it to me either knowing that that wasn't my blood family they never treated me different um <laughs> thelma baker the, the, the steve's mother she you know she made sure that I was her grandson, you know. Uh huh. And did um, you call her grandma? Like you still call she's, her? She's grandma, grandma Thelma. Yeah, yeah, she's grandma Thelma. Okay. Oh yeah, she's dope. Yeah, and yeah. She, she's such a little tiny, like like redhead, like firecracker. You know, uh -huh. it's oh, talking yeah. about like Greg Hemingway. It's so, like Greg Hemingway again, his split personality. He would he would go into this like female mode, uh, and he had different names. Like he went from Greg to Gloria Hemingway to Mary Catherine Hemingway, and uh -huh. he bear in mind this is a big guy and my grandma thumb was like tiny <laughs> and, uh <-huh. laughs> and she she was looking through her wardrobe and couldn't find this specific dress and then she knew like oh like god damn it and, like went like marching down and like starts knocking on <laughs> on greg's door like give me back my dress and he's like <laughs> wearing it stretching it out you know and you would think like a sane normal person i think would be more hesitant to approach someone like that because you, you don't know especially back there at the canyon but she's mm -hmm. just, you know, she's mad because she just wants her dress back, you know. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and do you feel like it's something your grandma Thelma could kind of connect with these people on too that um, vacated the hotel? Like you said, um, Steve, you're, you know, essentially your father, mm -hmm. like um, had a mental breakdown. And like, was this anything that had run in the family before? Or do you think it was just this connection that she had with these people? You know, yeah, it's hard. That's a good question because I mean that environment is a sort of it's not a clean 
I mean, it is, I'm not trying to, you know, stay at the Thunderbird. It's a nice place, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, that backside, yeah, there, there's, there's so much character and so much odd character to it, you know, mm-hmm. and she already lost two sons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've always admired her and increasingly, you know, I, I've went back and, and helped her in like summer breaks, like clean rooms, like coming back from my college and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's amazing. Every week she has some crazy story uh, mm-hmm. and just the way she just casually talks about it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, with Steve, his mental breakdown, it was my mom who, after his sister, you know, got her diagnosis and my mom walked in the bathroom and he was just sitting there on the toilet, just like catatonic, you know, oh, like unresponsive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my mom helped him through, you know, like, God, like Thelma, she's, she's had to bury three of her kids. Yeah. Um, and my mom to deal with this too. I mean, these are just, just strong women, you know, to deal with mm-hmm. this. So, I mean, so Eric and I, we spent much of our time at the Canyon, at the backside of the Thunderbird. Okay. And, and when Steve, my mom, you know, things started working out there, they got a house, uh, Orchard Court, number seven Orchard Court by, mm-hmm. by the Thunderbird, by Cold Springs Elementary School. Okay. Um, and that's when we, we like became a quintessential family, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't honestly have too many memories of, of, we must have just moved in and it wasn't too much, it wasn't much longer until, you know, the car wreck that killed Steve. Um, so the year, but I, but I remember that time, um, I think things were just looking so up from, from my mom and Steve, because I, I just have just glowing memories of, their favorite song or like their song together was you're still the one by Shania Twain uh oh. and he had a tape he would drive Eric and I and he'd play this tape and it just had that song recorded over and over you know oh. and then the tape would end and he'd, he'd flip it to side B and then he'd just play again you know uh-huh. and I have one like there's one memory specifically where I I can't I don't know where they went but it was it was in my mind it's somewhere by Mount Sentinel but they went up to this kind of they drove up there and, and it was the spot that overlooked like all of Missoula. And so Eric and I were in the car and Steve and my mom were like, I could see them through the front window and they're like hugging each other. But from, but from my vantage, it's just like a, a slightly sloping hill, but from my vantage, they're like on a cliff. And I remember just like flipping out cause I'm like, they're gonna die. You know, they're gonna fall off this cliff. Uh-huh. Um, but this this memory, it's, I mean, I remember it cause it was scary in that regard, but, but I just felt the love they had for each other. Um, it was like you guys made it, you know, you, you went from the Canyon to orchard homes and you didn't even have that much time together really, but it's like all these moments of, you know, even just the simple things, taking drives and listening to tapes and then re-listening to the songs and you're exactly you know, and them um, hugging and just feeling like you made it as a family because so much when you, you know, when mm-hmm. maybe you grow up with a single mom or, you know, just whatever. I'm sure there's so many insecurities as a child that you just, you know, moments like that don't happen as often yeah, as you know, or that yeah. security doesn't set in, you know, exactly. You know, and like, so, so first grade, you know, nearing the time now when, when he, when he died, um, I do, I do remember first grade, it was about the, the beginning of when little seeds were planted where I started realizing, oh, like he's, he's not my real dad. Like he is my dad, 
like psychologically in and that I've absorbed that but but then like intellectually when I think about it, I'm like but but he's Eric's dad and and um by blood he's not you know and and okay. it, I don't if he hadn't died who knows where that insecurity would have led mm-hmm. um but it did so, start happening like it did I start just, happening with you little, a little bit kind of yeah, yeah. And, you know like because this is the year also he died I don't know if I'm like retroactively inserting this insecurity, but um, one last beautiful story <laughs> before I get to the story of, of how he died. Uh, that Christmas, the one, the one we got the N64, um, mm-hmm. we, the garage of, of Orchard Court, number seven Orchard Court, he was converting into, Steve was going to convert into a, another room mm-hmm. um, that would, my brother and I would eventually live in. But in the middle of the renovations, um, so it, you know it's Christmas Eve night, <laughs> and we have like the Christmas tree up with all the presents, and you know as a kid like that's this is the big day, and in the middle of the night apparently he stayed up all night and he transported everything, all of the Christmas presents in the tree into the the room that's being renovated, the garage, mm-hmm. and he <laughs> so he, he moved all those and he put Grinch slippers up on the curtains where the tree was. And so my brother and I wake up and we're like, holy shit, uh-huh. <laughs> the Grinch fucked us, you know, like, <laughs> and we're, <laughs> we're like freaking out, like, oh my God. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I think we had such a se- severe reaction. He immediately like felt bad. And he's like, no, and like brought us into the garage, you know. <laughs> oh, that's so, it's so, it's so cool. Cause like, just, you know, being a parent to like, half the time I'm like too worn out to do anything in the Christmas spirit for him to right. be like moving stuff back and forth for these two and, little kids. Oh, like God. such a cool, like he just sounds so cool. You know, he was that kind of guy too. He, he had such a funny sense of humor. He, it wasn't mean spirited, but he had this sort of, uh, the funny prankness, he, you know, the, the, he'd prank phone call my mom and, <laughs> and my mom's so gullible too. Like Eric and I do it to her every now and then, but he'd prank call her and acting like, uh, he's someone from like, Cause some, or no, sometimes she would help out at the canyon and he would call okay. pretending to be like a lady living down, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> put on this voice and, and getting her to freak out and go check on, on this person. And, uh, uh-huh. but just the way he did it, he's just so funny. Um, oh. but yeah, yeah so, you, just... you know, we had that Christmas and, and things were looking up. Um, and it was, it was a val- it was Valentine's day weekend. It was about the same. It, it's about when his birthday was too. Okay. Um, the night he died, he, my mom and him were going to this dress up Valentine's day party. And so I remember them being in the living room of our house and I, I, it's probably my grandmother, my, my, on my mom's side, not grandma Thelma, but grandma Sal, uh, taking pictures of them. Um, and so then Eric, my brother and I, we went with grandma Sal. Um, and, and then however long we're there the next thing I know uh Eric and I are watching tv and behind us there's the kitchen where the phone is and um I I just remember grandma Sally she's on the phone and she just looks so serious and she she told us there um Steve was in a car wreck and he and he he died like I remember her saying like he like they knew by then um she got the news and she told us that he died and I remember Eric and I, we, she got, you know, we, she got us in the car 
and she drove out to the scene of the wreck, which was, uh, I want to say on I-90, um, pretty, pretty close to the, where the Thunderbird's at. Mm -hmm. And, and we got, and it was, it was the most surreal car ride because the whole way to the wreck, all I can think was, was like, this is the shit you hear about in TV and it's happening to me. And, and I remember feeling very guilty about that thought because it was like, why am I thinking about like the TV narrative of this? And I, you yeah. know, I didn't have that articulate sense in first grade, but, but by that feeling, like that, that seems like a mispriority to, mm -hmm. um, mythologize this in, in this like TV realm or, or you know, um, yeah. and, and I remember we were, we drove and then we saw, and like what really struck home was like our green truck was just, it was just beaten. Oh and, and so God. how, and so I'll backtrack. So how, how they died at, at the time, the Thunderbird was undergoing renovations and they were replacing the hot tub, the old hot tub with the new one. And so the old hot tub was was put in the back of our truck. And so when when my mom and Steve were driving to this Valentine's Day party, um, the hot tub fell out on the highway. Mm -hmm. and, and this is my mom's claim is that she she told me that a voice was speaking to her and was telling her that I'm sorry, but Steve's got to go. And, and it's it's hard for me to gauge, you know, what's what with this. Um, but she she told me that she had this feeling that something bad's gonna happen, and so when when the hot tub fell out, my mom was just like, "Let's not, let's no, <laughs> you know." Yeah, it's like Final Destination shit. Yeah, right? yeah, not exactly. To dumb it down to a stupid movie like that. It but... always goes back to movie and TV, and that I mean, that okay. plays a theme to this. I'll, I'll get to too because it's it's yeah. I'll, I'll get into that, but um, so the hot tub fell out. And then a stranger pulled over to, to help Steve lift it and put it in. And so mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, my mom's sitting in the passenger seat and Steve and the stranger, they're, they're lifting it, trying to get it into the back of, of the truck. And, and as they're moving it, Steve noticed there's a car coming around and it's, it's heading towards them and it's not slowing down. And so at the last second, Steve pushed his helper all the way and it, it slammed him and just sandwiched him, you know, between the truck and, and this car. Uh, and my mom's in the passenger seat. And, and like that specific fact, I, I, I didn't fully realize or appreciate until, until I was about in college. I was like, holy shit, my mom was there, uh -huh. you know? And she saw the love, the, the love of her life uh, just dead like that. Uh -huh. um, so gruesomely, yeah. really, you know, just whatever she, she saw, yeah. you just can't even imagine. And no, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. And so she, you know, she in visceral detail, you know, she said, she told me that she, the initial sh shock of, of getting hit and then looking back and just seeing blood, you know, uh, on the rear window and, and then getting out and he's, you know, um, essentially cut in half, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's like basically DOA and I, I think he was kind of holding on for a bit. I, I'm not too sure, but Mm -hmm. So my brother and I, we go to that scene and I remember the truck and I remember another car uh, over the divider upside down. And this all might be fabricated by my memory, but um, mm -hmm. I, I just the, seeing our truck that way, it was like, it was like whatever question I had in my head, if this is real or not, I just remember this, this feeling of like out of body, like I, I'm not here. Mm -mm. Like I, this isn't, um, I'm living a story now and like they're, I'm not in reality anymore. Um, 
because I, you know, and seeing, seeing the truck just really, it was like that realization, like, oh shit, like this is, you know, yeah. There was something that you could connect, like you saw the truck, like the truck that your family was in was now Mm -hmm. the truck, the hot tub. And, and so then we go to the Thunderbird and, um, everyone was there. My mom, my mom was there and she was just crying, like crying and just saying over and over, this isn't real. This is a dream. Just like over and over and just, just sobbing Mm -hmm. and, and. Thelma walks in and, and she sees everyone. Then she passes out. Um, mm-hmm. My brother's crying, and and I, I didn't know I didn't know what to do. I was just in shock over this. And so all I remember there's a TV in the corner of the, of the hotel lobby, and I the Pink Panther cartoon was playing. And so mm-hmm. um, I just went to that, and I just I just sat there and just watched that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I didn't cry and I, and I, I felt for a long time, a lot of guilt, not crying in that moment, but it was just, I couldn't. No, that's a lot to process your, yeah. Yeah. At, There's at nine years old or whatever you have to, you're already, um, mm-hmm. you already understand that it's like a movie. This doesn't really happen in real life, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I have this like, that. I have this image of myself. There's a, the scene in the movie video drone. Um, mm-hmm. where I can't remember the actor's name. He, he's watching TV and these like lips are talking to him on TV. And then he just, he just puts his head into the TV screen. Right. And that's, that's how I felt. I felt I was, I was trying to escape into something, you know? Um, and it, and so I, I didn't cry then, but Eric and I, we shared a bunk bed in, in the garage that Steve turned into a room and I, I slept on the top bunk and Eric slept on the bottom because I don't know why I thought the top bunk would be cooler, but that I instantly <laughs> regretted that. And I'm the older brother. I feel like I should have claimed the bottom, but I was like, no, I want to be, I want to be, you know, king of the tower. But, uh, and I just remember, you know, at that point, my mom was distraught and, and Eric and I, like, we, we kind of just did whatever we want. So we'd be up, you know, watching TV in a room. It's like 11 midnight, pretty young. And um, I, I remember crying a lot, like in the top bunk. And, and I had a hard time doing it in front of everyone. I didn't cry at the funeral either. Because the, the insecurity that was starting to develop of, of thinking about, you know, and, it, and it, this insecurity grew into guilt of, of me not being Steve's true blood son and it being Eric's okay. and, and the fact that I still had a dad out there oh, okay. it was this question of to what right um, am I allowed to grieve uh over mm-hmm. this um you know because I didn't want to steal that from Eric but I also hated that feeling because like no but Eric and I uh, you know we're, we're brothers and and uh, we should share in this together um mm-hmm. so that was a difficult thing to navigate I never just I had a hard time talking about it with anyone I don't think I ever did you know, I don't think I even publicly cried about it until two years later in mm-hmm. third grade when um, when a friend asked me uh, if I like baseball during lunchtime, then he asked me if like if my dad likes baseball and I didn't know how to answer that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so he's, you know, I just start crying and he's probably what the fuck, like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, they fucking Aww. hate baseball. I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, it is yeah. sad. Like, I just. I don't know. That's just sad. You know, um, I found out my older brother had a different dad when I was like 
in third grade. <laughs> My parents wow. didn't tell me. And, and, uh, and, but, but he was always my brother. Like my yeah. dad, you know, was his yeah. dad by the time my older brother was three years old. And then mm-hmm. they just failed to mention that, you know? So I had this from a very young age. Like I remember walking into his room and being like, is he still my brother? Like you're trying yeah, to like, yeah. make this thing up in your head. Cause you're, you're questioning your whole existence now and your feelings and your emotions. And, and then to, throw losing him into that equation mm-hmm. that would just be like awful because you it's and then you're weird... also the older brother so you're like yes i yeah. gotta take care of eric 100 percent. that was but the then, thing yeah um, i can just imagine I don't yeah know. no I, I i wanted to be this older brother role i wanted to feel sad but i didn't know how to feel sad um for a bit i wanted my dad to be dead so then eric and i were on so, so we, you know, so that wasn't even like a thing to me, that was a complication that I, then I had to feel guilty over one, my, my real dad to be dead. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and then uh-huh. I had, and I, there was so many nights I, I really, I wanted Steve back and I, and I, I talked to Cam, we, we called, we have this joke about what we call the rules. Cause I have these like weird OCD ticks where I have to do these little rituals. Uh-huh. I, I probably have some like clinical, uh, <laughs> thing going on here but but after steve died it, it developed into this weird ritualistic thing where if i if i did if, if i could appease the god somehow by doing these rituals and he'd, he'd give me steve back so like i would say before crossing the room i'd say like I'm, I'm sorry god like however many times until until i felt satisfied that that god was happy then i'd cross into the room or or um yeah you know Aww. little stuff like that and and I had, I had a dream, like I remember doing this and I had a dream uh, in which, you know, in this dream, like Steve visited me. And, and mm-hmm. so in this dream, we're at Orchard Court in, in, uh, in the dining room and my mom is, is cooking dinner and crying and mm-hmm. Steve is sitting at the dinner table and, and his body is just mangled and his oh, head is God. just like, his head's just barely hanging on by like a thread. Oh, and he and I, I you know I went to him in the stream and he basically looked at me and told me like um don't don't wish me back into this body like this body hurts and oh. and where I'm at is I don't hurt you know oh. so it's okay you know oh. um how old were you when you had that dream it was shortly after he died like really? I, I yeah it wasn't too much longer because and I remember because my mom told me that she had dreams too that were of it's this like you know graphic stuff yeah and and after so after that dream my weird ocd ticks turned into i would do this like head roll thing because i don't know if like my head's gonna fall off or something and i i you know eric and i naturally had to see counseling you know to deal with this but that i think that was one of the main triggers to to give me the counseling like you know ryan's in this this weird like it's like this omen kid <laughs> doing this, really? this head roll shit, you know? Oh, God. Um, and it sounds like too, you just, I mean, you're a little kid, so it's, you know, you're not thinking this, but you're just not allowing yourself to grieve or feel these emotions about him because he had this step word mm-hmm. in front of his yeah. name, you know, stepdad. But it's like, it's so sad because, you know, I've had these conversations with people about, um, not being allowed to grieve because you felt something 
towards mm-hmm. that person or, you know, yeah, you weren't allowed to. And it's like, but you and Eric are brothers and yeah. you had the same experiences with your mom and dad, you know, he's, he's your dad. I'm going to call him that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just so, it's so sad. These conflicts we put in our heads because it's like, but you know, he's not my blood. It's like, it's sure. Yeah. I don't know. And my family in general has issues of, of, uh, the, we don't talk to each other about stuff that I think that we're, is hurting us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We jokingly like say it's like the Irish in us where the only times we can like speak openly with each other is we have to like yell it and, and be like aggressive and yeah. you know yeah. it's just like do you, ang- do you guys drink a lot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's this like angry moment and then once the anger passes, it's it's like you know, this family cuddly thing. But oh. but it but it has to come out like you know, I don't know what that is, but it, it kind of still is a thing. And mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, dealing with and trying to navigate my emotions with with Steve's passing and then my relationship with Eric, you know, it was a thing where I didn't even want that to be a thing. And I didn't, the more I thought about it, the more I did want to think about it. And 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 the word half of half brother was, was such a, like a, a fracture in my mind or just a cleave that I just I wanted to mend. And, um, and you know, it. <laughs> If I were to talk to him about this, it, that I'm probably putting ways that are more dramatic, because um, we were very close, you know, and we were, you know, living in the same room, bunk bed style, and and yeah, this. But but there were little scenes, you know, like he, Eric came to me very little with a picture of of Steve, my mom, Eric and I, and he was like held it to me crying, you know, showing to me, and I did I froze up because I didn't know what to do you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't even think I like I put my arm around him or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was another thing like that, that I just to, to this day, like, I wish I could like go back and like hug him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's so many elements to it. It's like this brotherhood, this, you know, stepfatherhood, also just being so young and losing a father fit father figure like mm-hmm. the loss as a child I think there's so so many elements to that that um and like excuse me I'm just like listening to you talk because I haven't heard a lot of stories from people who lost someone so close to them as like a nine or a ten year old so it is it's like all these things you're trying to get out and figure out sure um, how you know how a little kid processed that with so many different um you know, parts of the story, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, and then my, it's, you know, it's my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, grandma Sal and grandma Thelma. Um, and my grandfather who's, you know, this, he, he's where the Irish comes from. And he's just like, uh-huh. you know, you don't, don't and, no emotions. And he's very, uh-huh. like, come on, you know, not why are you crying? You know? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so there, there was much more maternal, and this like a feminine presence and I, i'm sure like my brother and i have like freudian layers of like mm-hmm. um our masculinity framed by by this like feminine environment you know part of it too i think after that is the family and i'm really grateful for my family they, they really pulled through to to raise eric and i um, okay so we got a lot of love you know we were in no way neglected uh emotionally or or you know like totally left alone by any means um in that regard um 
it was never like overwhelmingly like your mom's PTSD wasn't uh, affecting your couple years after that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't. No, that wasn't taking over your life anyway, that you can remember. It was, yeah, you're no. just kind of going on still being little boys together. Mm-hmm. And, but did you ever see maybe your mom and Eric together hugging? And I know Eric's super little at this point mm-hmm. too, but did you ever see them kind of going through stuff together that you felt like you were an outsider to because of your own personal conflict that you were going through? No, I, I think there wasn't I think anything like Eric that. and I were fairly similar. I do think that there's more attention to Eric just because he's younger. Um, okay. and, and I, you know, he's very rambunctious. He's a little shit, you know, uh-huh. he, he has Steve's funny sense of humor. He's, he's such a little prankster, you know, and he's, mm-hmm. he always has been. And it's funny seeing him now because I think maybe I was a little bit older to remember, um, some more of Steve's sense of humor. And it's, it's really, it's really cool seeing that when Eric will manifest those, those traits that I remember from Steve uh-huh. as an adult, you know? Um, so, so I do think that, you know, he had a little bit, there's a little bit more worry for him and, and I'm just by nature, just quiet. I'm, 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 I'm very quiet in that regard. Um, like I said, you know, I, I didn't even like publicly cry until third grade. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even when, when mom was started dating, you know, she'd, she'd of course, like run these guys by Eric and I to make sure to see what we think of them. And I fucking hated them just off the bat. And Eric just immediately was doing this like gesture, like he wanted to make them laugh and he's being all goofball and showing off, you know? So he, he was really comfortable with it, you know? Um, But then when your mom did have, because then she did, you know, get serious about a certain person right yeah yeah and they they got married in fifth grade um when I was in fifth grade (laughs) (laughs) my mom was really fucking young (laughs) so it's been like yeah four years since Steve has died and then yes um and so how did you feel towards this guy and what's his we'll call him uh Martin (laughs) oh no that's Steve Martin oh shit That's what we'll, call him, we'll call him Tungar. There he's we go, Tungar. Big Viking man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tungar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my mom married Tungar uh, when I was in fifth grade, and uh, you know, initially, um, I I I think we initially liked him because he he had a decent sense of humor. I could tell he's a little rough and weird, um, but. My mom, I could tell, I think my mom with this guy, she seemed like she had a sense of like security in a way that made me feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, she's raising two kids. She's trying to work and eventually, you know, soon after trying to start her own business, this guy too, he, he didn't have kids of his own. And and I have a hard time because he, the way he treated my mom, I didn't appreciate. And there's nothing like there's no physical violence by any means, but it's just increasingly degrading. And um, he insisted on Eric and I, you know, adopting his last name. Okay. Which That's I was very against, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm Ryan Simone. Mm-hmm. Eric is Eric Martin. Uh, my mom okay. goes by Tana Doyle. Like we're this, again, a modern family of like different last names. But that never, that's, that's something I never, that never 
bugged me. And I actually kind of, I love that Eric Zarek Martin, I love that I'm Ren Simone and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're this eclectic mix of different, you know, yeah. Things, you know Seriously. I mean? It's like you're, like you said it earlier, it's your identity and part of where you come from and your own individual story and all that. And then for this guy to come in, you know, and maybe you didn't feel a sense of respect from him and then to have to change your last name to his. And mm -hmm. I don't know. So you did change your name. Yeah. So we legally official. Yeah. We got the last name and you know, it's interesting too, during this time, um, he never really served as a uh, role model to me in a way that I necessarily aspired. Because I remember during this time, I really, I, was, I suddenly got interested in, and, and what's funny too, is like up until this point, my mom always told me my last name is pronounced Simon. And then one day she told me like, oh, by the way, it's actually Simone because it's like Hispanic. <laughs> I'm like, mom, that's way cooler. What the hell, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so after that, I tried to explore my quote unquote, like Latino, identity um and i think it was kind of like father searching in a way and you know my father's chilean but uh, me you know this american born in montana i'm like looking at like antonio banderas movies and, and shit like that to you know i was like this is my people you know and i want to know what this means um and explore that and, and definitely throughout middle school i sort of developed a, a sense of um you know my latin blood and um as I talking about now, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I never, you know, I, I never pursued who I am as, as a, you know, a budding male, this boy becoming a man, um, through the framework or, th or th with the role model of this new stepdad in mind, it was, I kind of retreated back into this uh, ethereal father out there, um, living mm -hmm. in Chile. Um, and, and there's a lot of insecurity to that too. Um, that, you know, I probably spend way too much time on TV. I was a very media TV savvy kid. I, I was really much in MTV. Mm -hmm. um, I was up on the trends and I, you know, I wanted to be a musician and, you know, learn guitar and I want to be an actor. And um, you just know, in a weird way, I, you know, I, I feel like I have a weird, my identity was, was weirdly lashed to that. And I, and I don't think that's unique yeah. to me. I think much of us, the TV almost served as creepy parental figure uh i think it, it that's its own thing but um but definitely my my sense of who i am as a male was informed by by much of that and and it was tough for sure i think for my brother and i getting into sports and playing football um you know we're playing with with other other kids who have fathers and you know the whole like cliche of like passing the baseball through dad and mm -hmm. um I remember in middle school, my, you know, when we're living in this new house with Tungar, uh, <laughs> my, my, my brother kept, you know, telling me his older brother, like, you, you should, you should pass the football to your younger brother. I think he, he needs, you know, it, and to give you a sense that this, this guy wasn't doing it for us either. Yeah. That's what I was you know? wondering. It's like, was he doing it or no, yeah. he, he was strange, man. Like he, he would like hide candy. Uh, cause so we couldn't eat it. And like he, as soon as I got married, he like lost his job, quote unquote, because the boss, his boss was jealous of him, which what, and, and he never like really tried to get a job again. And he just, he was just, wow. um, he was a thing, you know, and it's, it's just, I, I, I'm a, it's something I've come to terms with growing up. 
Um, mm -hmm. But I'm a very sensitive guy. And I think part of that, I, I can, I have some empathy. And so I, I could tell that he genuinely loved us, mm -hmm. and, but he had this sort of rough edge that he, he couldn't, uh, he had this weird insecurity that he couldn't quite yeah. battle. And so I felt bad for him because I feel like he was kind of his own enemy and that he wanted to connect with us, but it was his own fault that he couldn't. And, mm -hmm. and I just remember feeling really bad for him, but also like increasingly disliking him and, and the way he would treat my mom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's also, you know, like pretty, I don't know, you know, in these formative years that you and Eric could have really used a male figure, it's, you think it's not difficult to just go outside and throw a football with these two young guys that are like going to do anything with right. you. Yeah. you know, they, and yeah, whatever demons he had or whatever insecurities mm -hmm. he had for you to be like, I feel bad for the guy. It's like, well, mm -hmm. yeah, but also it's kind of sad because it was like, it was right there. You guys would have been real receptive to it almost, you know, like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Just, but it wasn't happening, you know? No. And I, I, especially in sports, especially in high school, when some of my friends, you know, there, there's that sort of like high school uh, sports politics where like the dads talk to the coaches and sort of, you know, kiss their ass to get their, their sons to a certain position and that kind uh -huh. of stuff. And, and um, my brother was a stellar athlete and, and so I think he did just fine. But for me, I, I think I, I totally, I, I didn't have that advantage of, of having a father to, or at least in my mind, this was my insecurity. You know, this may not be true, but it was my perception that um, if, if I had a father, I, I could have had someone vouch for me and, and really, you know, give me that, that, and, and, you know, I, I also, um, I also just, just, felt like I, I couldn't quite male banter was an issue for me you know okay you get men little boys in a group and they just kind of fuck with each other and part of part of that's like a rite of passage to see who's cool and who isn't who's going to get all butt hurt for no reason you know and that's mm -hmm. sort of like hazing uh kind of shit you know um and I you know I wouldn't necessarily get butt hurt but I just remember like I I just I, I couldn't quite jive with it and then to this to this day, I just, I, I don't have that. And I always attributed that to um, a lack of a father, father figure. Um, yeah, that's whether, interesting. Or not that's, whether or not that's true. I also think that I'm just, like I said, uniquely sensitive, which is mm -hmm. something that <laughs> I had a hard time acknowledging or, or um, accepting because without a father figure, I, I tried to, you know, especially me pursuing this Antonio Banderas Latino mm -hmm. identity, I, I tried to adopt this machismo sort of manly uh sense of myself but but i'm i'm too emotional for that you know <laughs> I, I, I puss out too quick <laughs> uh so you know um now that is interesting it's like i wonder if we could find a study on that like i don't know fatherless children and sensitivity <laughs> but not that you were fatherless but you know what i mean just just the name yeah <laughs> you know i mean freud has all of his stuff like and Freud does that to explain homosexuality, um, mm -hmm. which that's that's its own funny thing, you know, because I think my grandfather being this a traditional and he, you know, let me backtrack and say my, my grandfather did step up and, and play a very uh, paternal role for my brother and I that I'm, I'm really grateful for. Um, uh -huh. um, but I, I know for sure for them, it was like, we need to get these boys in sports because, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we spend too much time around women and da 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 da. Uh, mm -hmm. 
yeah <laughs> you know that the kind of old school way of thinking forcing this masculine energy on you because <laughs> you know exactly yeah yeah um, yeah you know and i i have artistic interests like I'm, I'm interested in in art and stuff like that and um you know even as an adult like much of my career is is centered around art and culture and um pursuing that stuff you know when i was young that was a, a source of insecurity for me but as yeah. an adult that you know I'm cool with it, but yeah, no, and nothing like bad about your grandpa, but I know too, just like in certain generations, they don't really understand how a guy could be interested in art and, you know, like that's not something you can get on the level with your grandpa about, you know, certain grandpas anyway, but I know, and I say that too, like I, my little brother's an amazing skateboarder and, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't in that, um, you know, conforming to football and baseball and all that stuff, you know, it's like he wanted to skate and my dad didn't really understand that, even though Zach's like, my brother is a great skateboarder, but my dad was always just kind of like scratching his head, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that screwed with my little brother in a way, because he couldn't get on the level with my dad about certain things. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's, um, it's an, it is an interesting one. And, you know, in my case, I, 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 I don't know if it's the luxury, like I'll, I'll give it a positive spin. I, you know, at least I got to explore it on my own terms. Um, you know, cause it's not like my grandfather lived with us and, and the stepdad, he was too out of the picture. And, and he was obviously dealing with his own insecurities that, you know, mm-hmm. but I do think that he affected my brother in a way. Um, I was more resistant to Tungar, uh, the stepfather, whereas mm-hmm. I think he, um, he impacted my brother in a way because my brother he was this goofy just like steve that you know this little prankster and i think uh, he, he started getting serious and i think he, this guy kind of fucked with him a bit okay um, yeah and he kind of like laid the guilt trip on him uh my brother and and you know he started like making up shit about how he's like you know because he was jealous he's like you know steve and your mom really didn't have that great of a relationship and like just kind of randomly throw shit out like that <laughs> you know and isn't that so bizarre from like an adult perspective now you know like even just bringing up how you know we play those roles in our lives like it's not about like if you're talking to a child about your parents your parents old relationships or something like there's something really wrong with you there's something (laughs) exactly a kid just wants to like love you and you know like all the kid wants yeah. is love, you, you know, throw the and, like, and stop hiding the candy. <laughs> it's like, they don't give a shit yeah. what happened to their parents or what their parents relationship or whatever. They just want, they're just looking for you. Exactly. Yeah. For acceptance. And like, that's, what's so interesting about these, you know, these stepmom and stepfather roles and why they do get a bad rap. It's like, it's because there are such insecure adults out there that can't deal with their shit and like for sure yeah just and play the role as the adult and know that there's children in the mix like they yeah. are children you know sure. yeah know. exactly no I, I know what you mean yeah he, and I, I didn't appreciate any of that I didn't appreciate yeah. how he encroached on our identity and um even though I I, I think I understood I, I understood him and especially you know so and we could tie in like the suicide high stuff too, because it's just entering suit, you know, getting high yeah, you're school. entering high school now at this point, like you're in high school, right? Yes. And, um, 
yeah. So then when you get to high school and, you know, these are, these are other formative years for other reasons. And, Mm -hmm. you, you know, you're getting into more things, sports and the arts and all that stuff. And then in the meantime, even your family life isn't exactly, you know, maybe what it could have been with Steve, maybe in your head, you know, this Mm -hmm. is starting to unravel a little bit. And then in the meantime, you go to a high school where suicide rates are really high. Yes. And so that is fucking nuts to deal with already (laughs) as a teenager. And then to not even get that fulfillment at home. It's like, it's gotta be pretty tough. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, in, Sentinel High School had the reputation of like already had the nickname Suicide High before we got there. Um, I, I was in eighth grade when my I think in eighth grade when my good buddy, uh, his older brother committed suicide, and and I even at the time I had the weirdest reaction to it because I I fucking cried my eyes out because you know, mm-hmm. they allowed a lot of you know knowing that my buddy um, and that we're friends with his older brother they allowed like for the students who need to during the school day to go sit in a room and cry and whatever. And so I went there and I didn't really know, I, I had my friend, but I never knew his older brother that well. And, but I just couldn't stop crying. And, and, uh-huh. I, and I think part of it was an outlet of just um, the grief I built up, you know, over Steve and, um, you know, as, you know, at that age too, it's a very narcissistic age, you know, just like, like clinically speaking like you're mm-hmm. you're so self-centered and, and trying to identify yourself in the world and so I I I remember at the time thinking like am I just crying for the theatrics of it or like what is this and and I remember like because I you know I didn't have like memories of this guy that I was like oh I'm not gonna see that anymore like I, I <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I just cried um and I, I remember like that feeling though is just generally you know that that sense of of sort of like nauseousness you have over the you know the realization that you know, we're all gonna die and i'm gonna die and and what the yeah. fuck you know and um that's sort of like what the fuck's the point and 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 just this this vague sadness for the world and everything and and, and my friends and <clears throat> and myself um that's such that, a good point because that makes me just think of someone in my class died when we were freshmen and mm-hmm. I remember you know I only had like 50 kids in my grade and and you know we're 14 and 15 year olds and like hysterically bawling and I'm thinking is this because we're um <laughs> you know our hormones are raging and we're trying we're, to get each other's all... attention and <laughs> yeah yeah we're all <laughs> We're, we're all eyeing each other a little differently so we're seeing who cries a little cuter than the other people uh-huh. it's like it's like no I couldn't stop crying either like and now yeah. I look back I'm like that is so interesting because uh-huh. I it is it's such a weird time yeah for what you had already gone through too it's like did it just kind of unleash something that was in you mm-hmm. building up to this point anyway and what's weird about that too, and, and again, I think this, you know, relates to that sort of like adolescent narcissism, but I, I kind of took a weird pride in my being privy to losing a family member or having such a traumatic um, youth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do think that kind of, like I said, my first impulse when I saw the car was like, this is something you see on TV. And I, and I had this, like, suddenly this grand sense, like, oh, I'm part of this grand, you know, story. And, uh-huh. um, the world is revolving around me and um i 
and I, and I, I, I think much of that got to my head in, in the, in the, the environment, especially when I got into high school, you know? And so like, I was very, I was very lonely, um, extremely lonely, you know, in, in it, it developed even before suicide high, I developed this, uh, sort of like this self-loathing. Um, and I do think it linked to little moments of doubt and insecurity about who am I, you know, can I grieve over Steve's death? Can I, you know, my father's out there, but he doesn't want anything to do with me. Um, you know, and I, I had uh, such severe loneliness and, and self-loathing for a while. Uh, during Steve's funeral, is at this Lutheran church that we started going to every Sunday. And I, and I remember like, I in think, you know, think about this as an adult, I can look at myself as a kid and as if it's a different person. And I, I remember like, I would sneak off and go to this back room and just write, like, I hate myself over and over on the blackboard in, mm -hmm. in the back of this church. And, um, you know, maybe part of it, or you know, a lot of it was hoping I'd get caught or something. Um, but I, but I remember genuinely feeling that, um, and that sense of alienation that, you know, I, I have a father who wants, you know, in my mind, nothing to do with me. Um, mm -hmm. The father I do love, I don't know what my right is to grieve over it. And if I'm stealing that from me, you know, this, this sense of guilt and, and intrusion that I'm a burden, you know, and that's the key word is burden. So, you know, as an adult, as I've really, process this and, and sort of absorbed it and, and identified what these things are, um, you know, talking to other people, um, that level of depression when, they, when they talk about, you know, it, it gets them open up and like, I just feel like a fucking burden, you know, I just don't, I just feel so down. And, and it's, I feel like I do have a sense of like that kind of loneliness and, I, and I'm if any, perhaps oversensitive to it. I, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back. Like I've, I've got this, <laughs> But I feel that I feel very, very sad um, seeing that 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 loneliness. Um, you know, I had a buddy recently who this kind of relates. Maybe people can relate to this. But he he lived in San Diego and and he's just he he visited us in Missoula and he's just um, it was after George Floyd and, and he, he was trying to, he just had this really off sense of humor everywhere he goes. He's like, Oh yeah, I feel bad. But you know, like what, what right do I have to feel bad? You know, like after what's going on with the blacks in, in this country, like I'm this white guy and yada, yada. And, and I, I can tell that he, he was, he was dealing with something that had nothing to do with this. Like he was just dealing, he was just depressed. And, mm -hmm. and I had to pull him aside. Like what's, what's going on, dude? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's with you know I understand and like that's um good for you for having you know that acknowledgement you know that pe yeah. people outside of you have it worse but I had to like pull him aside like well, so you know like and he just admitted he's like dude I'm just fucking depressed man and, and I just feel like I'm just sucking up the you know all the world's resources and, and I just you know I tell him like did you so you know like you're I understand that, but you like your life does have value and, and your suffering is valid, you know? Yeah. We fucking That's what we especially can't forget this year. Like I've heard it so many times, like people just like, well, like, you know, I don't have it as bad as this and as, as these people and these circumstances is like, okay, but what you're feeling is a real emotion. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
you shouldn't discredit what you have just or what you know your emotion just because mm-hmm. you have more than somebody else or what you know your situation is on the surface better mm-hmm. or you know whatever um but no i think we are kind of um stripping ourselves of our the value of our emotions or you know yeah because, um I don't know. And maybe this is off subject, but being so politically correct and mm-hmm. um, considering other people's situations over our own. And, and then we're forgetting about our own self and our own emotion. And, and then too, you know, and it comes back to this podcast too, just how grief. And I think too, like on your side, just being a, a guy and mm-hmm. um, having, you know, quote unquote like a father who didn't want you or whatever you feel about Uh it like you felt so alienated and alone it's like something that it's like you can't explain it but you can but you feel it but you know I don't know like and I've heard other guys say this exact same story and I feel so bad because I'm like I don't (laughs) I don't know how to relate but like it's so sad because you aren't a burden and you aren't no no you don't it's just this thing that you go through well and that's there's so much uh you know i think many of us in our culture or or if we're feeling sad we're oriented towards um these ideas of like self-care well i need to take care of myself and i need to get help for myself and but i I don't think for a lot of people that's that's going to make them happy i think what I think when people say, you know, that feeling I had of like that sense of like, I'm, I'm a burden or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I layered that with my dad not being around and, you know, my mom explained that to me and I'm actually happy he wasn't because, um, I, I'd probably be a much different person. And I don't think I would like myself the version who had that guy's influence in my life. You know what I mean? Uh Um, and I, you know, the, like I said, the, the women who raised me, they're just such strong women. Uh, Thelma Baker, my mom, my, my grandmother, just, um, I'm just so, I just admire them, you know, uh, for mm-hmm. what they went through with all that. Um, but I, I think what makes people happy is, is, you know, the idea of being a burden, like people like, and I think this is very noble about us and our, you know, the human species is that we find a sense of happiness by, by lessening the burden of others that knowing that we've had an effect on other people's lives and, and that, you know, I was put on this earth, um, to help other people or that, that I've had a positive impact and that I've made other people's lives better. Like that, that, you know, knowing that is what makes people happy. And, um, I, you know, and I'll ask my brother if this is appropriate that I put this in here about him, but I know that my older brother felt similar to you um because although my dad was his dad um he's kind of brought up some different emotions that he had you know like his Mm -hmm. biological father is out there although he's never met him um which is different from you but like um because you've never met your or you've met your dad right yeah i mean very young i can at least reached out to you yeah 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 Mm -hmm. And like my, my brother, like, doesn't, this guy has never tried to get to know my older okay. brother. So yeah. he's kind of felt like, well, you know, my dad, someone who I saw as my dad died, mm-hmm. but then he also wasn't my blood technically, mm-hmm. but, and someone who is, 
doesn't even want to get doesn't even want to know who I am you know so then he feels sad and lonely on that right you know from that perspective too and that's just stuff that I don't even understand because to me I'm like you're you're our brother you're my brother (laughs) you know my dad's your dad like so for him to feel alone and alienated in that way it makes me sad to hear coming from you too because it's like damn yeah that is something that people actually go through you know you know that's a tough thing to for to share with you know people are close or to hear from someone who's close because you do it, it I think people have a little bit of like, well, why are you alone? Like, am I not enough for you to not feel lonely? You know, um, uh-huh. I, that's a tough thing, you know, to navigate. And, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, yeah, it's not like I, it, people are ungrateful, you know, for um, the people are in their lives, or maybe, you know, maybe they are to a degree. Maybe if like, if we had a little bit more awareness of, of those who are around us and appreciation for them, we, we, um, feel less lonely uh mm-hmm. if that makes sense um but yeah um because did you ever bring it up to eric that you're feeling lonely let you know have you kind of ever brought this up to him and oh you know that's no. our again that's my family and especially my brother and like we lived together for a bit after graduate college uh uh-huh. um thelma baker uh, steve's mom um we she had a condo and she's old enough that she can't like walk up and down the stairs there. So, uh, my brother and I, we lived there for a bit. Um, he's still there and we, it, him and I, we, we just share the same, we have this, you know, that unspoken brotherly language. We, we, we know each other's sense of humor. And so there's a lot, there's a lot that's said that's not verbally said between us. Okay. And I think that there's a lot communicated between him and I, um, that, you know, on the surface level, we're very silent, but just being near each other is a very comforting um, and loving. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, we don't talk about any of this. And to the point that when he does, you know, mention family stuff, it's, it's kind of good to know, you know, what he's uh-huh. speaking because I, I do think about that. And um, as much as I say, I want to, it's just, I don't know what it is, you know, uh-huh. we have a hard time discussing you know stuff of that yeah which is like I think a lot of people share the same stories like when I hear and when I meet someone who has like a really open relationship with their family about their feelings I'm like really (laughs) like (laughs) you do like it just (laughs) seems like it's something a lot of families don't Uh, talk about right um Mm -hmm. but I do envy families that do that's for sure (laughs) yeah no I yeah 100% I think things are better that way too just in general you know communication Mm -hmm. is is it is key uh yeah that's what I'm working on too as being like a step parent and a parent it's like you know Ty and I will have discussions like how should we bring this up to the girls or something it's like just fucking bring it up to them like like (laughs) you know like I think we have these discussions because we're used to our parents and being kids in our families where it's like yeah aren't our parents weirdos for not telling us that like exactly yeah like can you imagine my parents didn't tell me my brother had a different dad until I was like 10 that's that's bizarre yeah what were they so afraid of to tell me and I'll and that is something that I've told my mom like uh-huh. mom 
I can see that, that to me. <laughs> like, I can see that becoming a thing where like they didn't do it and then they didn't do it for so long that they just kind of, you know. Uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of what corner. happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it but, just got God, what a, and what a thing to like <laughs> learn, you know, at such an age. <laughs> Oh my God. And then I was so fucking dumb. So remember when like MySpace came out and all that shit, uh-huh. um, I was like just a curious 15 year old or six, whatever, however, yeah, yeah. 17 year old. And I'm like looking up my brother's family on there uh-huh. and okay. I messaged them and I was like, did you know that my brother <laughs> you is know? your like your piece of shit dad or whatever didn't want (laughs) and like what an idiot you don't do that you don't just like message someone like that there's this random kid no that's fucking that's badass (laughs) (laughs) just cyber bullying them (laughs) because i think in my head i knew how like bad like the feelings that you're saying yeah that it made my brother feel bad and as much as really sweet so I was just like message my (laughs) family and be like you pendejos (laughs) but but then I come back around and I'm like yeah that was wrong Sarah that was not good but um social media in itself like we were talking about this extreme loneliness that like you were feeling and then I mean and then in the which is totally different but Mm -hmm. in just how COVID has increasingly oh, God, so made this it, isolation first, and loneliness yeah. oh my the god first month of covid was very i think refreshing i think it a lot I, I enjoyed those stories of hearing people having a moment to just be together uh-huh. I, I really enjoyed the first month you know personally it was like you know those like 1950s american the american dream like the families mm-hmm. walking the dog and people talking to each other over the fences like it was like that out here in lolo for a bit yep but I think COVID is for sure has um, catalyzed, you know, this, this process we're in and social media is putting us in where we're, you know, increasingly atomized and isolated and we're in our little like media bubbles where we can just surround ourselves by only the stuff we want to see and hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're becoming not only isolated and lonely, but like also intolerant of outsiders in a way, but you know, and those outsiders are exactly what will cure our loneliness. Um, and, mm-hmm. and help switch up our little, you know, routine of sameness that we're all in that's making us all depressed. And it's, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, totally agree. And then too, like, you know, these being with people makes you kind of, you know, that initial conversation and those hangouts, like it can be awkward sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we've like totally gotten rid of that. We don't have to be awkward. We don't have to be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, um, and you know, and then, you know, humans are so quick to adapt. So it's mm-hmm. like eventually, yeah, it's awkward at first and mm-hmm. whatever, but then you get over it and then you have a great time together and you look back at it as such a great mem- memory. You don't exactly, think about yeah. the awkward shit, right? Well, mm-hmm. now we don't have to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And so just this disconnect is just, oh, it's just so, exactly. it's so yeah. bad for us. <laughs> it's sad. I mean, it, that is something, it's the reason why I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast and what you're doing with this. It's, um, this, these topics are severely uncomfortable and it's, 
you know, death is fucking terrifying. And, and not just to, you know, deal with the trauma of someone you love being gone and then having to realize like, you know, no more memories uh, with this person. But like to then, you know, when you have those moments, you're sitting there and then you just get hit with that, like, fuck, I'm going to die someday. Mm -hmm. And it, and before I die, it's just this painful aging process and shit's going to hurt. And, and then like, you, you know, at least it's the monologue I have in my head. I'm like, I, I kind of hope that it, at the end, it almost hurts so bad that I, I'm welcoming death, you know, in mm -hmm. that, yeah, yeah. that sounds twisted, but like that shit has been so death and this, this, you know, this podcast and talking about this stuff, it, it's so like soul soothing and, and it's, it's like, you know, this COVID thing, um, I mentioned earlier, like the, there's something, there is something, you know, in the Romeo Juliet sense, like there is something extremely deeply romantic about, I will, I will die for you, you know, um, and like the, the real thing, not like the high school, whatever. And it, even in so much that there is a real thing that it might just be in like Shakespearean plays, it might be this fictional thing, you know, the whole, I will die for you thing, but that's a deeply, it's a deep expression of love to say, I'll, I'll die, you know, I'll risk 100% certain death um, for you. And this COVID thing, it's like, I won't shake your hand on the small chance that I might get this, this virus with a very small case fatality rate, you know, and I, I understand, I understand that, um, I understand the public health implications. I understand that there is a sense of common fellowship that by me being clean and safe, you know, I'm not going to risk getting the old person down the street sick. So, you know, who does have a higher rate of death, but like we're viewing each other, not as friends that we die for, but as the potential contagions who might for most of us just make us sick for a bit, you know? Uh, and I, and I don't think that's, and again, this is my unpopular opinion, <laughs> I don't think, um, I think the repercussions of, I don't want to say, I, I think that we've become so afraid of discomfort and so afraid of aging and death, and, which is nature. That's mother nature. Uh -huh. You know, we have this, we've kind of replaced like this benevolent God, like this, this father in the figure with this like benevolent mother nature. It's like, no, mother nature is not kind and night like there's that mother nature will fucking eat you and mm -hmm. it puts you in this world and it's painful and then it, and then it takes you back right mm -hmm. and and you're gonna age and you're gonna die and it's gonna hurt and, and everyone you know is gonna die like mm -hmm. that shit's like that's reality and that's and, and we've so gutted that truth out of our quote-unquote forever 21 culture so much too of like your story with like um Steve and then and Tungar you know it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it seems like Steve would have like you know just the fact that Steve pushed that guy who was helping him out of the way mm -hmm. to save that guy to save that stranger who was helping him and totally take the hit that killed him mm -hmm. right it almost seems like a guy like Steve and his personality type he was 
preparing for this moment of death like he he seemed like this kind of like spunky funky yeah, guy you yep. know and he, um exactly yeah he, he you lived, know i don't know he lived life so passionately and uh-huh. and you know that that in my time at, at the thunderbird and in that environment of you know the secondhand smoke and these oddball characters and steve and he just he lived so passionately uh-huh. um, and he like and and that passion though wasn't just him being constantly nice i remember him like just yelling like you know fuck and like you know uh-huh. this ang this also that this sort of like passionate anger about stuff um that as a kid you're like well, what the hell is like steve yelling <laughs> the the worst word of all time yet you know uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but it's um I, I much prefer that than this sort of dulled down, pat, like passionless, safe, yeah. sterile. Uh, I told Kim I wasn't going to go this way, but like, cause uh, I, I somehow always rant about what I call like, we're, we're turning, we're turning everything into like, you know, that feeling of like sitting in like a dentist waiting room, like mm-hmm. everything is turning into that. Like our culture is like this one giant dentist waiting room and everything's safe and, and, and antiseptic and um you know that's why i like wow. charlie b's and flippers because there's so much texture and there's so much like danger to being there you know and and that to live life passionately is to live life dangerously and mm-hmm. you know and i really i really worry you know with these girls um you know i think one of the key events in our life was like 9 11 and that provided a fear of, of foreignness. And, uh-huh. and the key event in these girls' life is gonna be this lockdown. And that, that's mm-hmm. a fear of really everyone. Like everyone is, is a pathogen car- a carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, that reminds me so much of um, like one of our step girls said to me, um, you know, but this is kind of nice. Cause you know, we don't have to go to school and we can all be together. And, and, you know, I kind of like not going to school anymore and all this stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. girls, you got to go back to school because guess what you, you, cause, because you get to share this with the other kids in your school yes. and you get to talk, you know, and you'll get to tell your kids and you'll tell us one day what it was like to be a kid during this time and go mm-hmm. to school during that time. And, and how scary it might've been that all of you guys were wearing masks and yeah. none of you guys could touch each other. And, and, you know, it's like, and how sad it was because some of them haven't even seen their friends since March. Oh, and so, and they're all like growing and hitting puberty and, and like they don't even recognize each other anymore yeah time and it's and but i could just see it in their eyes they were they were getting used to not having to be in public Mm -hmm. and that to me was like scaring me more than them having to go back to school right well and we you know when you're at home you're with these like basically like addiction devices you know these the phones and and, uh monitors that are just just scream for engagement and um they seem purposely designed for us to be intolerant of each other and intolerant of discomfort and um, mm-hmm. you know the, the formula i have for like passionate living um so yeah um but yeah i mean th- to tie that in with this this podcast like it's i think these these discussions of death um in you know they're necessary to appreciate life and and love and um the people you have who are alive and then also to you know Steve died and and I feel a purpose to fill his void and and to live um to live in a way that that honors you know his life um and you know that's the best we can do you know it 
Mm-hmm. This podcast is applicable to everyone. Like everyone's going to have someone close to them dying. It's, it's, that's the kind of like weird thing, you know, every relationship you have, it's like, who's going to die first, uh, you know, yeah. in the back of your head. Like we don't address that because that's a very mm-hmm. morbid thought and we shouldn't like, it's <laughs> a weird thing to just talk about, but yeah, you know, um, no, I, to, ad- to at least, you know, acknowledge that somewhere it's, you know, yeah. To, to enough so you can at least you know let your friends know uh-huh. I fucking love you you know yeah and I'm happy I can say that right now yeah um, no I totally that. agree yeah. it just I know because we just yeah we don't we don't go there enough and maybe you know it was inspired by me having a father who was extremely introverted and did not want to talk about that you mm. know and <laughs> whereas I'm like I got nothing to hide. This is who I am. And like, I'm like this to everybody. And sorry yeah. if you think I'm weird, but, um, but what is so wrong with having feelings and emotions about these things? This is a part of our life, you it's know, humbling. and grief, yeah. grief is like all encompassing of everything oh, that fucking goes on. So why aren't we talking about it? Nobody's talking about it. I was always the, the kid, the girl at the party who was like, drinking and I was like this will be a great time to bring this up and I'll like ask them about like their dead sibling or something and people are just like oh god she's fucking going there right now isn't she she's doing it she's making us all uncomfortable (laughs) and I was like I know I need to like translate this into like a more positive energy you know like I like that I I do not need to be making people uncomfortable because you know i need to use my own medium to do so yeah i need to find the time and place (laughs) not at this uh sixth grade the six-year-old's birthday (laughs) and then into it's like yeah and then into like even adulthood too it's like oh god here she goes ty's probably like oh god here she fucking goes again that's hilarious (laughs) that's that's cool (laughs) yeah that's so funny but and to yeah it just comes back around too just like what we're saying it's like i just don't want us to get i don't want it to be the downfall of of human nature no we we always we always find a way you know and i love that to just like be reminded just to be passionate i love passionate people like that's it is it's it's so cool passionately (laughs) you know sure let your friends know it's like you you fucking if i had to die tomorrow i'm happy you know Mm-hmm. The time we had and yeah um I, you know i'm saying this stuff it's not like i'm i live that 100 like i have moments more often than not you know especially this lockdown of just this, that sort of malaise of sluggishness and what's the fucking point you know mm-hmm. but you know th- that same that's that same circumstance you know could in a different mindset you you know could urge people live more passionately and you know in part of that comes with like not we're in this moment and we're, we're so we have so much information telling us you know what to do and what to think and 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 how to you know do this and whatever that you we feel kind of socially pressured to be a certain way but at some point we just be like yeah you know what <laughs> i don't give a fuck and i want to go see my bud uh yeah yeah and, you know be smart <laughs> yeah. whatever but like yeah <laughs> passion and love it, it's all I will, I'll take a, a bullet for you, you know, mm-hmm. that that's yeah. the ultimate gesture, at least spoken, you know, and to mm-hmm. keep that in mind as we, 
you know, who, who knows what's gonna happen with this lockdown and shit and this, this crazy political moment that's tearing us apart. Um, you know, we're, we're not, a lot of that's so unnecessary and it is, it's so contrived. Um, but what's important is, is the people immediately around us. And um, yeah, I think we need to just more, right now we just really need to like actively keep that in mind. Um, no, it's so true. And too, you know, it just reminds me of Steve Martin, <laughs> like how yeah. you're just saying to just, I don't know, this is who you are and how, you know, how you are and how you want to live your life. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that kind of comes back to how he was and the guy you kind of saw in him, you know, yeah. I don't know, yep. like he probably was just fine dying when he did because he seemed like he lived life to the fullest you know That's i don't right, know yeah. <laughs> just, but, you know like yeah, as sad as it is and horrible yeah. for your mom and you guys well, but you, you know, know what i mean it's it sucks for us but like you know if you if you live life <laughs> the way you want to when you die like you're dead what are you gonna what are you gonna do <laughs> you know it's like at that point you don't have to worry about it and you know and I do take a lot of comfort in that dream you know as horrifying as it was and him and with his mangled body and his head barely hanging on you know that really like spiked my OCD ritual weirdness um his message you know was uh, I I feel I don't feel pain you know mm-hmm. um don't wish me back in this body because of where I'm at is, is it's painless bliss, you know? Seriously. It makes me think of like, I, I, I've only told like a couple people this, but um, my, uh, after my dad died, you know, he had leukemia for a year and a half and a failed bone marrow transplant. And I mean, fuck, I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's gotten a bone marrow transplant, but it mm. rips your body apart. I mean, it's just, it's insane what those people go through. I've had doctors tell me those are like the, the warriors of the, mm-hmm. of cancer. You know, those are the people who have seen some shit, you know? Right, and yeah. um, so it's like, you know, I saw him come to this point and, and then dying. And so it was only a couple days after he died. And, and for someone who never wanted to share any of his emotions or his fears or weaknesses with me mm-hmm. um he you know he came to me in a dream and it, he was wearing what i gave the coroner to put on him when he when he left our house you know after he had died and mm-hmm. he was wearing everything he was wearing um th- that night and um and he was in the back of his of the funeral mm-hmm. where we were having his funeral and he was sitting in the back and and he just looked great. He was the dad I remembered, like as a kid. And he just waved to me and he was like, I'm fine now. You guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys yeah. keep going. You know, like, right, and for yeah. me, that was like, that was the moment where I was like, he's so much fucking better off. And like, That's I got to right, get, yeah. get it together <laughs> because, <laughs> because he's better. And like, now I have to figure out how to live mm-hmm. without him, you know? And that's what it is too. Is, uh, yeah. We'll have our, you know, yeah, we'll have our moment of comfort and peace when, when we're dead, but for now to enjoy the painful ride, I, I guess is. Yeah, I guess. And, all that. and, and I, I don't mention too much, you know, my current stepdad after, after Tungar, my current mm-hmm. stepdad came in and, and I just fucking love him to death. Like he's, um, I, he, you know, I'm an adult now. So, mm-hmm. you know, at this age, you don't, you're, you are your, the parent. Um, mm-hmm. But he's someone I'm proud to, you know, call dad and, and, 
and him serving as such a great role model stepfather wise i think has really instructed me in this current moment too with the girls um mm -hmm. so i you know i don't want to let it you know <laughs> make sure he's dan gray like i, I fucking love him to death um uh -huh. so yeah, i was i was gonna say i don't want to go anywhere without mentioning him just because it it is it's such an important role to play and it's fine that it's not like he has to be your dad and play catch with you you know like he, no, he's yeah. not at that point in your life you're an adult like you're saying no, um yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's just cool to have a role model and for and somebody who makes your mom happy and that's exactly. what's like yeah. the most important mm -hmm. you know yeah so i'm i'm in a really good place uh yeah i feel very blessed for sure that's um awesome. and I'm, I'm happy that i have you know whatever led me to to have the capacity to even um, be aware of that, you know, mm -hmm. and have the gratitude. Yeah, yeah. I'm grateful that I'm grateful, I guess, <laughs> the way to put that. Yeah. And um, then it, you know, and then it, it does, it comes back around to Joe yeah. and Andrea, our, our step girls too, is like who, <laughs> we, right, who yeah. we want to be and what kind of person we want to be to them. Cause yeah. there's some people who don't, do not understand that, I guess. No, it's very sad, but yeah, they're such great kids. I know. <laughs> They're cool. I, yeah. I said if uh if they were anything like my sister and I growing up, I would not have married Ty for one second. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, my sister and I were hellions. That's like, hilarious. On our like <laughs> on our school projects, like I found one of my sisters like goals for 1999, and she's like in first grade, and it was like to stop beating up my sister. Like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damn <laughs> we got into it like yeah so they're just awesome and yeah they're absurdly <laughs> good kids it's it's almost unreal i know like i feel i need to get my shit together they they've got it way more together than i do Dre's <laughs> up at like the ass crack of dawn like <laughs> i know I'm, we're Baby yelling Poppins. at her like stay up later you weirdo exactly like, yeah about at eight <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh god but i hope kid. so i hope it lasts like that because yeah because i know how puberty can affect oh god yeah oh, we're god. on the cusp of it so. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we can stick together through that yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we can laugh <laughs> laugh together about that yeah, this well, is funny now uh it was uh, so great. I'm just going to sign off with you on the recording, but it was so great having you on this show. And I think you brought some just great and even maybe abstract things at times, like just fun stuff to talk about in such a, you know, on a podcast that may seem depressing on the surface, but you know, when you get into this shit, it doesn't always have to be. So thanks for bringing that element to it. Cause I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I, I, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. And like, I'm, you know, yeah, nervous no, getting thanks. into it. Appreciate it. Um, well, thanks everybody. Uh, this was Ryan Simon. Just kidding. Ryan Simone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Ryan Simon. <laughs> Ryan Simone. That's Raymond so cool. Simon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, there. I'm just going to. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of I Speak Dead People. Be sure to rate and review and check us out on social media. We couldn't do this without the listeners, and we especially couldn't do it without the amazing guests that we have on the show.